We're just a few short weeks from closing out 2023, so I want to focus on living with intention as we uh, go into tonight's message. Next week's going to be our Christmas dinner, and then the 20th is going to be the candlelight communion service. We have a, uh, I think it'll be a beautiful night together of worship. Uh, the kids will be participating in that night as well um, at 6.30. Next week will be at 6. The Christmas dinner will be at 6 and then 6.30. And then on the 27th, uh, we won't be having service. I know a lot of times people spend time with families in that. So, um, and just a reminder that Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve will be at 10 a.m., all right? And we hope that you can join us. But I want to um, encourage us tonight to end this year strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Um, as we go into 2024, I pray that we can go into it with a kingdom mindset. Uh, Jesus, over in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he gives us the heartbeat for the church, um, his bride. And he simply reminds us or instructs us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind, and love our neighbor as ourself. That's the heartbeat. When you look at Ephesians, the writer there calls for us to be imitators of God, bearing with one another in love. When you look at Matthew 5, Jesus refers to us, his people, his church, as salt and light. We are to let our light shine before others so they can see our good works and glorify God. You know, to have a kingdom mindset and to live a kingdom lifestyle comes as we live intentionally, as we live a surrendered life to Christ, as we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and as we stand against the culture. It doesn't just happen because we come to church or we say that we're a Christian. When you look at Romans 13 and 12, he gives us this sobering reminder and command. He said, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us cast off or throw off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And when you think of those two actions, casting off and putting on, uh, they're both intentional. It's not, again, it's not something that's just going to happen in our Christian walk because we've named the name of Christ. We have to be intentional about the way that we live, what we uh, participate in, what we allow in, what we allow to entertain us. <clears throat> Excuse me. And while we're casting off, we're putting on. We're casting off darkness and we're putting on the armor of light. We've been filled with the fullness of God so that we can operate in kingdom power and authority in our everyday lives. I love this scripture, Ephesians 3 and 20. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, but let's never forget this part, according to the power that's at work in us. There again, it's an intentional part that we play. We have been filled with all the fullness of God, and we can subdue that power inside of us, we can quench the Holy Spirit, or we can release. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power 
that's at work in us. So tonight, being the last Wednesday night that we'll be in here teaching anyway for 2023, I wanted to just drop some nuggets for living with intention. It was just in my heart to do this. Most of them are gonna be reminders, things that you already know, but I, I just wanna encourage us to stay the course. How many of you know there are a lot of distractions? There are times we get weary. There are times that we, have, uh, we start out the year and we have all these good intentions to read the Bible through, to do this, to do that. And yet there are battles that we, we don't always foresee or expect. And so sometimes we get a little battle weary. So I just want to encourage us tonight to stay the course, to keep living out our everyday life with um, eternity in view and with the power of God at work. So just some things I want to drop into your spirit, just as a reminder. One is blessings always follow obedience. Or we could say it this way. Preparation precedes blessing. John, in John, Jesus said, 14 and 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. I like the way the message says it. If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. Over in Psalms 1, 1 and 2 in the New Living, it says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with scoffers, but they delight in doing everything the Lord wants. Day and night, they think about his law. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season without fail. Their leaves neither, neither wither, and in all they do, I want you to hear this, in all they do, they prosper. Why? Because they delight in doing the will of God. That causes prosperity. We're talking about the benefits and blessings of obedience. Luke eleven twenty eight 28 said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. I've heard it said, and I've said it before here, but I want to say it as a reminder that we are educated beyond our obedience. We know more than we do. And I think sometimes we uh, look at obedience and sometimes we, it, it does seem to be hard because but it begins with just taking small steps. When we come to the understanding of his will, when we, when we open his word and we read it, or we sit in a service, or we listen to someone teach or preach, or maybe it's even in a song that brings out theology and the Holy Spirit opens our understanding to something maybe we weren't aware of before. Now we have the knowledge of the word. Now we're responsible to obey it so that we can grow thereby. And so obedience begins with just taking small steps. When you look at 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it sums up the whole of obedience. I love this scripture. I just think it just condenses it down into this little nutshell. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Don't live so close to the edge just because you can but everything that you do, let it be about him. Obedience then comes into play because you're seeking to serve him. 
When you look over in Colossians 3, the writer there echoes this same truth, but he adds a little step further to it. He says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus. I've come to understand, and I believe many of you in this room have, that spiritual growth is neither of time or learning, but it's a function of obedience. We don't become spiritually mature just because we've been in church all of our life or we've been even filled with the Spirit or we've read the Bible through because you can read all day long, but if we don't apply what we know, then we literally stay as babies and sometimes tantrum-throwing babies because we have too much knowledge then to walk uh, as if we don't know, to walk in ignorance. We know better. And so um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a function of obedience that we grow. Charles Finney said, a revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. When you look over at James 1 and 22, it goes right to the straight of the heart of Christianity when he writes, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Don't just hear it and then cast it aside or say that was for someone else. But begin to do what you know to do. And the way that you're going to be able to do big things that God asks you to do is by starting out with the small things. It's really hard, and I'm just going to use giving. It can be in a lot of things. But it's really hard to trust God if he says to you, I want you to give this amount in the offering, which is a large amount, and you've never done that, if you've not started out with tithing first and been obedient in tithing to see that God will uh, come through. Sometimes it's hard to forgive someone of something really big if we haven't learned to walk in forgiveness with even things that are small of letting God do things in us. So it's those small steps that make all the difference in the world. But we can't just hear, we have to do. I love this. It says, to know God is to love him. To love him is to trust him. To trust him is to obey him. To obey him is to be blessed by him. And I love nuggets, you all know that, so I'm gonna throw out a couple of to you right now. God's part we cannot do. Our part, he will not do. God will always provide the direction. We must provide the action. There's a scripture that I have come to love and understand it in a much fuller way. In Proverbs eleven twenty five, 25, it says, the generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. I, I have learned, and again, I'm giving you some nuggets tonight. We're gonna move on into a few other things, but I have learned that obedience produces generosity. Because when you obey God and you see that you can't outgive God in any form, in any form, and you know that as long as you put your seed in the ground, whatever it is, it's gonna come back to you. It makes you wanna walk in obedience. It's like the word says, those that um, need friends must show themselves friendly. 
that seems like such a small thing. And sometimes we stay in our own little area and we're like, I just wish I had friends, but we're not sowing. We're not obeying. When we love others, when we encourage others, when we give to others, when we walk in obedience and walk in forgiveness and walk in love, the generous soul will himself be watered. All that comes back. And I wanna remind you of that as we close out this year going into the next year because we're living in hard times. We're living in times of great testing. We really are. We have a lot to be thankful for. But if we can just remember that blessing always follows obedience and just keep our seed out there and just follow what God is saying. When you look in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's, it's this beautiful picture of obedience because he tells us to offer our everyday ordinary life, our sleeping, our drinking, our walking around life as a living sacrifice before the Lord. It's our reasonable act of service. And we don't conform no longer to this world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we're able to test and prove what is the perfect will of God for us. When we walk in that lifestyle of obedience, the fruit of the Spirit is produced in us. God's power is manifested and we shine as light in a dark world. From a lifestyle of obedience, we learn to sow righteousness and we reap mercy. Obedience creates a, a, a sensitivity to the workings of the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. We become very sensitive to him nudging us to do things or nudging us to wait or nudging us to, to, to worship or whatever it is. We, we become more sensitive the more that we obey in those small things to what he's saying to us. It, acts, it activates the power of truth in us that will demolish strongholds and pull down pretensions that exalts himself against the knowledge of God in our life. We all battle. The enemy knows every single one of us in here are weaknesses. He knows what buttons to push. He knows the areas that we're vulnerable in and he attacks us in those. So when we walk in obedience, it allows those strongholds that are lies to be demolished and God to help us to see what is the truth. Because you know, you can be a Christian for a long time and live in bondage. You can live and walk in condemnation. You can live and walk in fear and be a child of God and on your way to heaven because you're oppressed in your mind. So the more that you obey the word, the more those strongholds are broken down in your life. It's really where freedom came for me in worship. I was constantly oppressed in worship because one, I didn't feel worthy or maybe I had a bad week and I wouldn't raise my hands or I'm thinking, what are people gonna think? They're gonna, and, and I was oppressed. And But when I begin to allow the truth of the word to settle in my heart and I just begin small steps, raise your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. When I just begin to do what the word said, it broke over me that oppression that kept me tied down where I could not worship in spirit and in truth. And the enemy will do that in every area of our life 
and keep us subdued. But when you walk in obedience to the small things of God, revelation comes forth in your life and you're able to operate in kingdom power and kingdom anointing and freedom. I love freedom. I love freedom. And that's the will of God for all of us is to be free. Elizabeth Elliot says, here lies the tremendous mystery that God would be all powerful yet refuse to coerce. He summons us to cooperation. We are honored in being given the opportunity to participate in his good deeds. Remember how he asked for help in performing his miracles? Fill the water pots, stretch out your hand, distribute the loaves. Simple obedience that blessed multitudes of people. Little things can yield great results. One of the most powerful examples of obedience is in Luke 5 when Jesus is with the multitude and he gets on the boat with Simon Peter and he says, can you push off just a little bit? And he teaches for a while and then he looks at Simon and he said, I want you to launch out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. And Simon is a skilled fisherman. He's fished all night. He said, Jesus, he said, Master, I have fished all night and caught nothing Nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to let down my net. That act of obedience filled his ship, the ship of those, the partner boat that was with him. And not only that, something happened into him spiritually. He had a revelation of Jesus and he said, I'm a sinful man. You shouldn't even be around me. And Jesus said, after today, you're not going to fish anymore this way. You're going to be fishers of men. And they left everything to follow him. Simple acts of obedience always produce great results. I, I want you to get that in your spirit as you close out this year and go into the next. That you don't hesitate to do what you already know to do. Don't wait. Sometimes we're like, God, show me this, show me this, show me this. And he's like, I've already showed you that. I've already showed you that. Start there, and then we'll go over here. It'll open up so many things. Blessings always follow obedience. Two, holiness is a lifestyle. David Platt said, we are settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. We are catering to this flesh. What we like, what we need, what we feel. But it's about holiness. The purpose of our life is not to seek happiness, but holiness. I see people abandoning families and everything else and running after the greener grass next door because... They just want to be happy. The problem is I see a lot of them leave and go there. They're not happy there, so they leave there and go somewhere else. Because true happiness is found in holiness. Holiness brings wholeness, which produces a deep abiding joy. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't come from without. It comes from within. Holiness is a lifestyle. 
Peter said, but just as he called you as holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Ephesians 1 and 4 said, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Holiness comes through is sanctification. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. The minute that we get saved, we know that we're a new creation. Old has passed away, new has come. But it's still a process that we grow in and that we walk in as we become obedient to his word and we tune our hearts before the Lord and we live intentionally and we work out our salvation with fear and trembling before God and we put our hearts before him and then holiness is produced in us. It's not what I wear, though it will affect what I wear. It's not a set of rules. It's seeing God in his glory. That's what holiness is. It's becoming more Christ-like because you're living to please him. And to be like him. And you're preparing your life for eternity. First Peter 2 and 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, to proclaim the virtues of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. We're just passing through. This is not our home. But thank God for the abundance that he brings while we're here. Watchman Nee said, Revelation is the first step to holiness. And consecration is the second. A day must come in our lives as definite as the day of our conversion. When we give up all right to ourselves. And we submit to the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ. Be holy. For I am holy. I want you to look at it in a whole different light. I want you to look at it that it's seeing Jesus. Who he is. His attributes. It's coming after him. In all his glory. And it produces in us. Christ-likeness. The third thing I want to drop in your spirit as we head to 2024, is prayer and fasting is a biblical discipline that produces powerful results. I want to plant some seeds for prayer and fasting because it's very difficult to wait until the day before and pick up a fasting guide and think I'm going to fast 21 days or even fast a week or even three days. You have to prepare your heart mind and soul for that. You really do. It has to be a decision that you make because it's a spiritual discipline that will yield great fruit into your life. Andrew Murray said, prayer is reaching out after the unseen. Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps express, deepen, confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. When you look in Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching the duty of every believer. Say that with me. Every believer. Every believer. 
I want you to grab a hold of that because we only apply sometimes the things that we like or that are easy. He didn't use the word if, he used the word when. He said, when you give, when you fast, and when you pray. When you look at the Hebrew and Greek word, the base words for fast, it means self-denial. Fasting is simply embracing obedience. It's, it's an intentional intimacy with God. It is so easy. How many times do you say, I'm going to just get up early every morning. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. And then you can't hardly get yourself up. Or you're going to read and everything comes up. Fasting and prayer, it's an intentional intimacy with God. It will give us a renewed passion for purity, for a thirst for truth and a hunger for holiness. It will change the trajectory of your worship when you fast. You can't come through a fast the same, a true fast with a heart after the Lord. It's simply a personal, and when we do it in January, that makes it corporate. It's personal and corporate consecration that will provide conviction for what is godly. Not just what is sinful, but what is godly. We, we always concentrate on what I can't do, what I shouldn't do, but what if we concentrated on what I could do and who he is? And how powerful and how wonderful and how glorious. It brings clarity for direction in our lives that will help us to have the greatest impact. It produces Christ-like character for everyday living. It's, it's simply a revival of righteousness and a return to reverence. Tony Evans said, the principle of fasting is giving up a craving of the body because you have a deeper need of the spirit. I want to say this if you've never fasted. This is not for you to go home and feel bad or feel less spiritual, any of those things. It's not about that. It's about growing as we're going into next year. Because God is doing something deep in every single one of you. I see it week after week after week. I feel it. I see it. But you, your spirit bears witness. God is doing something in this house. And I want him to keep doing that in us. So if you've never fasted, I, I, I want you to read scriptures on it and read books. And we're going to put out fasting guides here soon so that you'll understand better of why. Jensen Franklin, in his book, Fasting and the Fasting Edge, is powerful. It's a very easy read. Ronnie Floyd, in The Power of Prayer and Fasting, that book changed me. It's powerful. Powerful. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you what you're to fast as we're going to the new year. By all means, enjoy the holidays. This isn't to put any damper over that. But I want to sow some seeds for what's coming because God is doing something powerful and we want to plow up any fallow ground so that he can rain righteousness on us and we can keep moving forward in kingdom things because we're living in difficult times. But God is greater. I'm encouraged. 
But ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in a fast. Uh, when we give out the guides, there are several different ways to fast, even biblical. You know, I have known people that have fasted just coffee, and it was huge. Coffee for 21 days, but it was huge for them. And God did beautiful things. Or sweets, or they did the Daniel fast of fruits and vegetables. I don't get hung up on, on the how and the what. You know, sometimes along with, I encourage some kind of food if you can, or drink if you can. But I also encourage fasting TV or social media. Because there's so much time that it's consumed that we don't even realize it. To put ourselves before the Lord. I read in a church blog, fasting is not a way to redirect the hand of God. It's a discipline that helps us see the heart of God. I also like what Jensen Franklin said. He said, there are several types of fasting. The one you choose is between you and God. He will honor your best sacrifice. And I'll tell you up front that the enemy will try to discourage you. He'll try to sabotage any type of fast because he knows the spiritual growth that comes through setting yourself apart for God. Because when we fast, we honor God because it's his word. We humble ourselves before God. It brings us into alignment with the heart and the will of God. We experience more of God's grace and his intimate presence. It's not because God is went anywhere. It's because we have all this stuff in our hearts and in our minds that sometimes we're so full of other things, we can't even recognize his presence at work. It will uncover the mysteries of the kingdom. And we pray and we fast. And I want to encourage you to prepare your heart for feasting through fasting. It is one of the most powerful things that you can do that will break things off of your life. Mark Batterson, and then I'm going to move on, said, If you're not fasting, you're full of yourself. Fasting is how you exercise your no muscle. I don't know about you, but I have, I mean, if there are some sweets around, some bread... Come on now. Mm-hmm. Number four. Unity is not uniformity. We are to multiply, not divide. And I want to speak on unity for just a minute because this. When Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer in John 17, he prays specifically that his followers would have a spirit of unity, that we would be one just as Jesus and he are one. It's found in verses 20 through 23. And I'm gonna start with verse 22, but you can read that another time. The glory which you have given me, I have also given to them so that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them just as you loved me. And I wanna say this again. Unity is not a matter of uniformity. We do not all have to be the same, think the same, look the same. Um, though, I will say this, our thoughts and our actions should line up with the word, but we're still gonna have different ways that we look at things. We can agree to disagree. We can do that. It's not always easy. 
We have different perspectives. Men think different than women. Someone that's 50 thinks different than someone that's 20. We, we have different ways that we look at things. Our motivational gifts can cause us to see things differently. You, we all have different motivational gifts and we'll look at things through that lens oftentimes and, and we won't see things the same way, but we can still function as in unity. So we have to remind ourselves that we have the dynamic duo to rely on. We have the Holy Spirit and we have the Word and both of those things are in agreement and they will lead us into a spirit of unity. They will not contradict each other. But we have to be willing to submit to his word and to the Holy Spirit so that we can walk in discernment and we can walk in a spirit of unity. That means that there may be times when you disagree with others or we are hurt or offended by a husband, a wife, a child, a brother, or a sister in Christ, but holding on to that offense will only cause division. And so we, uh, we have to learn to pray through some of those things because the goal of the enemy is to divide and conquer. He's constantly using tactics that will weaken the body. We're one body. We're many members, but we're different. And he'll try to wound some to pull them away so that we um, are weakened in that, so that we'll become offended, so that we will uh, draw away from one another. And then um, he can divide and he can conquer. But we need to pray for God to give us a spirit of unity. Ephesians 4 says this, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's a scripture over in Psalms that motivates me to bear with one another in love, to pursue peace. And listen to this in Psalms 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is if the dew, the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows or commands his blessing, even life forevermore. That's why the enemy fights it. If you look back in the Old Testament over in Second Chronicles, you will find that when the trumpeters and the singers they came together as one and they made one sound and they begin to minister before the Lord. It said that the cloud of God settled in, that they were not able to even minister because of the presence and the power of God. That's why the enemy fights it. When you have that kind of anointing in a house and on a house of God, you're gonna see salvations and deliverance and miracles and all kinds of things because the power of God is that strong. When you you look over in Acts 2, 1 through 4, when they came into one mind and one accord in one place, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole place where they were setting. There's something that happens when we walk in a spirit of unity, even in our homes and, and in our, especially in our homes, it starts there. You have to learn to operate at home. 
so that you can operate in the church. It's hard when you carry a lot of things from there that you don't let go of or forgive or have God to help you to then walk with a pure heart in the church. So God is saying, my prayer is, is that you'll be one so that he can command the blessing, that he can be glorified. Then number five, I just have two more that I'm gonna go through quickly. We need each other. That's a seed that I want you to grow uh, grow, grab a hold of, a nugget. I want you to know that vulnerability is not weakness. It is the, it is the mark of an intentional warrior. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We need one another. That's why over in Hebrews he says that we're to continually provoke one another to good works and all the more as we see the day of his coming approaching. We, we need to encourage one another. That's what First Thessalonians tells us to do. Encourage one another and build one another up. Over in Ephesians 4, he teaches us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. In Galatians, he teaches us to bear one another's burdens. In Colossians, he tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly so that we can teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that will come in with a heart and a mind that it'll just flow out of us and we can encourage one another. We need each other for accountability. When you look in James 5 and 16, it says confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There are just times when you need to get with a brother or a sister and you need to just be honest about where you are in your walk with God, what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with, and pray for one another, help one another, encourage one another in that moment. It will break so much off of you when you're going through a difficult place if you can have a place just to pray with one another. It, it, there's power in that. Even in our homes, praying for one another, husbands and wives. Ecclesiastic 4 and 12 says, the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We are better together. I want to encourage you as we close out this year and go into the new year, stay connected. Use your gifts for the Lord. There's many ways to serve, even in the church. And we're going to be having small groups again after the first of the year. Get connected. Get plugged in. Grow from one another. Build relationships. And then lastly, but most importantly, we're called to host God's presence. Everything else that I've talked about tonight will flow out of hosting his presence. Everything else. It's at the center of our assignment. We are his temples. We are his workmanship. Brother Lawrence said, the most holy and important practice in the spiritual life is the presence of God. That is every moment to take great pleasure that God is with you. R.C. Sproul said, the Christian life is to live all of your life in the presence of God. Say this scripture with me because it's been a kind of a motto in here. Acts 17, 28. In him, 
We live, we move, and we have our being. Bill Johnson said, learning to host his presence is the biggest challenge of our Christian life. And I think the reason for that is because we live in a world where there are so many distractions and we're also prone to live out of our emotions instead of out of faith. And we're also prone to try to get good and better without the help of the Holy Spirit. We try to do it on our own and feel like that will please him when we get better than God can use us and we forget that his power is within us giving life to our mortal bodies. There is not a struggle that we have that God is put off by that he doesn't want to help us with that he doesn't already understand it and go before us and I just want to encourage you in that host his presence I like the way that Beth Moore gives us this insight she said the giant step in the walk of faith is the one we take when we decide God is no longer a part of our lives. He is our life. So I just want you to remember those nuggets as we're closing out this year and going into the first. And just hold fast to what is true. Cling to what is good. Stand fast in the Lord and in the power of his might. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Know that you're farther along than what you think. And that God will be faithful to you. I want you to stand with me tonight.